Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You're listening to the Eyes on Isles podcast with Matt O'Leary and Mitch Anderson. Welcome to Eyes on Isles podcast episode, I've lost count, eight? Are we at eight? Yeah, there we go. Episode eight. Made it as grandiose as I could possibly make it. How are you doing, Matt? I'm surviving. I'm, I'm, I'm going. <laughs> uh, we were just talking off the air a little bit. Uh, it's been a little bit of a rough week. So if my voice sounds a little off today, more annoying than usual, I apologize in advance. Uh, but I am excited to watch some West Coast hockey. Well, attempt to. I'll probably fall asleep after the first, if we're being <laughs> honest. But. Uh, so you got your, uh, you're on the mic, Mitch Anderson, co-expert for Eyes on Isles. And on the other side, you got co-expert Matt O'Leary coming down with a cold over there. And yeah, so the Islanders are finally playing regular hockey. They've got three games under their belt, and they're now headed out to California to play another three games against the California teams. Before we get into like digesting what happened so far and what's happening going forward, let's talk about some of the stuff that's happened a little bit off the ice. Uh, well, not a little bit, absolutely off the ice. Let's talk about the fact that Hosang missed the first game for a healthy scratch, and... Ryan Pulak is still a healthy scratch today against the Ducks. What the heck is going on there? I don't get it. I I read the tweet from Staple, and I thought like I traveled back in time and was now living in the Jack Capuano era once more. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was I was shocked. I had to like read it over three times to make sure that I wasn't like hallucinating or something because. So you're talking about the Hosang so, tweet, right, at the beginning of the exactly. season? Exactly. It was the yeah. day before, so Thursday evening, so almost a week ago now. Um, I, I couldn't believe it. Why? And for Jason Chimera, I don't get it. And I think you broke it down pretty good during uh, opening night. You explained, like, Chimera was barely even on the ice. He wasn't really that much of a factor. So why are you going with him over a guy like Hosang who can actually carry the puck into the zone? Well, which the Islanders struggle with, uh, and mm-hmm. he's a young, exciting player. Like I, it just didn't add up to me, and I didn't understand the argument for it. Like the oh, they're playing back-to-back games. It's not like he's in net 
Like, you know, <laughs> he's a 21 year old kid. I'm pretty sure he could play <laughs> hockey two days in a row. Yeah. Um, I, I think for me, the, the, the big thing was almost like a sense of betrayal, kind of like you said, where we thought we were heading into this era of, of no more Capua nonsense or Capua nonsense. I don't know how to pronounce it. Our, 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 our previous writer for our site came up with this, this, this catchy tagline for the crazy things that Jack Capuano says, you know, the puck luck and, and bad bounces and, and moves like this where he would ice a veteran over a young player for no apparent reason whatsoever. So, And we, we thought we had that when not only when Jack Capuano was fired, but just recently this season when Doug Wade came out and said, I will play youth over vets if they outplay those vets. And everyone saw the, the first half of that. I will play vets over our youth over vets. And we all went, yay, that's amazing. Whoa, Doug, wait. And now uh, come day one of the season, we're like, oh, wait a second. There was the other half of that where he's, if they outplay them, I should have caught on to that. Because that, that's exactly what happened is that he, what, what do, does he mean by outplay them? Because from by all indications, just like you said, Hosang should be able to outplay Chimera. And what Chimera is bringing to the to the ice or the table, even in in Doug Waite's terms, is he brings game presence. He's a veteran and he's got speed. Well, Hosang isn't slow, so he's got that. He's got more, like you said, offensive ability of dragging that puck into the zone, which Chimera doesn't have. He's a good outlet guy. Don't get me wrong, but. He was barely on the ice. So why would you... It just didn't make any sense. And it, it was exactly like you said. It felt like we were taking two steps back going, I thought we fired this guy. Didn't we fire this guy like a year ago? Why is he still here? Oh, it's just a new guy saying the same thing. Ugh. Right, which I think that's what we were afraid of when they made the switch to Doug Wade initially, that like it'd be more of just the same. You know, because it seemed like he was Jack Capuano's like understudy, you know, and he... Cappy took him under his wing a little bit. And last year, that wasn't the case at all. He seemed to really like change the culture, and it seemed to be a little bit different. So when this news broke the day before the season, I was definitely taken back by it. And it, it made me feel like the Islanders were taking a step back because, as you said, it seemed like this was going to be a youth movement like where Barzal would play, Bo would play, Ho-Sang would play, and it would be a young exciting team mixed in with some veterans and to see them go the veteran route on opening night it didn't make any sense to me i don't i don't think you can't have kuleman and chimera in the lineup at the same time it's got to be one or the other yeah agreed i absolutely agree and that's what the fourth line is for you get one of those guys out there i like kuleman on the fourth line but i also really like jason chimera i don't think that he should be on the bench i i think what he gives to the team is a great outlet guy. And on that fourth line with his speed, he's a great four checker as well. I think he's great on that fourth line and I would prefer him over Nikolai Kuleman, but I don't, I don't make the decisions. So I, I, I just blog about it and I hope that my influence carries over to the team somehow. You know, those, uh, like the gifts where it's like, what exactly do you do here? That's what I always think of whenever I see Nikolai Kuleman. Cause he's, He's not really fast. I guess you could say he's a defensive player. Fine, but... Yeah, sure. A responsible player on the ice. Sure. Yeah, but he... I don't know. He just doesn't do it for me. It's like... He's just taking up a spot there, you know? Yeah. Okay, so let's move to Pulak then. Or Pulak. Whatever you want to... Anyways, I've I've heard Pulak and Pulak. Whatever. Um, Why isn't he playing yet? 
I, I hear people say that they don't like him. Uh, one of our writers even used the word they hate him, um, which you know, almost kind of makes sense. But then I've also kind of get like the undertone that maybe he's not right physically, like something's maybe wrong. What's your take on all of this? I don't know what to think. I don't know if it's physical, uh, but it's definitely strange because last year he only played one game, literally one game, got hurt. And I know I thought like, okay, once he was healthy, he'd come back up and play. But that never happened. Yeah. And now this year, he actually makes the roster. And guess what? He's still not playing. So it makes zero sense to me. I don't understand the direction they're coming from. I think he should be in the lineup, um, but maybe they're seeing something that that we're not. I don't know. That's the only explanation that I can think of. He didn't have a great preseason, but you would think based off of where they drafted him and where he could be in his uh, development and what he could add to the power play that you would want him on the ice on a nightly basis, but that hasn't been the case four games in so far. Right. Um, I, I'm still not sure of it. Like, keep in mind, this is, this is a guy that we used. We, I talk like I'm part of the team. I'm not. I just, again, basement blogger. That's all I do. My basement is nice, but it's definitely a basement blogging situation going on here. Uh, and it is my basement. My mom doesn't live here, by the way. Anymore. Um, anymore. That's right. Um, the Islanders used a spot for Pulak on their ex- um, expansion roster, right? The protected list. So they saw something in him then that it was worth protecting, right? They gave up a first-round pick, and they they, they forced um, Vegas Golden Knights to take J.F. Berube, who is no longer with anyone in the NHL at this point. Why well, he might still be with the the Winchester Roadhogs or whatever they're called, the the uh, Blackhawks affiliate. But he's no longer there. So they, 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 they saw something in him then. That was just a couple months ago, and they don't see that now. I understand he had a bad, he, he didn't have, maybe not a bad, but he at least didn't have a good training camp. Um, so there, there's something, and from, according to Doug Wade today, he, he, he just likes the way that Mayfield is playing. Mayfield didn't have a good game last game. He had a, a, a good game against uh, the, the Sabres, for sure, um, but who on the team didn't necessarily, right? Except for maybe penalty killers. Um, so I don't know what they're not seeing or, or what, what, what's going on there. Uh, it, it, it seems, for by all indications as well, we just have better players. Well, that's not true. You've got Dennis Seidebrog on there, and he's not that great right now. Um, you have Calvin Devon, who hasn't been playing that well, but they're, they're, like you just gave him $3.3 million. You want to make sure that that's right before you bench him, and from what we've seen by this team, they're not going to bench vets anyways. Right, but you would think that maybe over... He would play over a 137-year-old Dennis Seidenberg. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, you would hope, especially not like not just because of the age, but because of the way Seidenberg is playing right now, which is not very well. So you're going, that's an easy swap. Let's give this 38-year-old, or I think I don't even think he's that old. I think he's 36. It feels like he's super wrong. old, though. He's playing like he's yeah. super old. He, right now he is. He looks like he's got center blocks on. And it, which is the opposite of what he was last year, right? Right out of the gates, he was amazing. Uh, he's 36 right now. Turning 37, I believe, in January or something. Okay. Anyways, it doesn't matter when he's turning 37. Happy birthday, whenever that happens. Um, this is July. I just, it, if he's not playing well, let him sit out and bring on the young guy. It just, it doesn't seem to make any sense to do it the other way around. Um, unless they just don't like Pulak or they're seeing something they don't like from him. Uh, and obviously, we're not going to get the answer to that because it wouldn't make any sense. But 
that seems to be the case. If that is the case, then they should move him before they put him on the ice and then everyone realizes, hey, this kid can't play on the NHL level. Mm-hmm. I, when he's still got worth. Right, because the thing with prospects is once you bring them up, their value in it goes down exponentially. So the more he plays at the NHL level and the more – and this is solely speaking if the Islanders just believe that he's not a part of the future here. He certainly could be. I think he could be a very solid uh, NHL defenseman, but that's yet to be seen because they're not really playing him. And maybe they're shopping him around, seeing if they can get anything for him. I don't know. I'm just trying to. One could only hope. I'm just trying to get an explanation for this. Yeah, that's. I think that's best case scenario of him not playing. I really do. Like outside of that, I I just don't understand why you wouldn't want to play him. But that again, we don't make the decisions, so <laughs> we're stuck just trying to interpret them. Read the tea leaves. That's what we're trying to do. Uh. Let's go do something a little bit more speculative and maybe a little bit more fun. Uh, I put something out earlier this week about uh, Islanders players that are that could potentially win an individual NHL award. So we know we haven't won one of these in a long time. If you don't include Travis Hamidick's trophy last year for his charity work, which he very much deserved. I don't want to undercut that. But it's not the awards that everyone's tuning in for, right? No. They're tuning in for the Art Ross. They're tuning in for the Calders, the Vezinas, those those fancy, dancy Norris, Jack Adams trophies. So what I put out is I tried to figure out who on the Islanders could win one of those individual trophies. And I came up with uh, a John Tavares for the Art Ross, which seems pretty self-explanatory. Like the guy could could score a point a game. So you're if you're looking at an 82-point player minimum, you're thinking he's at least in the conversation if you don't have a McDavid putting up 100 points again. Or an OV putting up 192 goals. Right. Which he's on pace for. Oh, sorry, 191 goals he's on pace for. Insanity. Um, yeah, Nick Letty could very much win the, the, the Norris Trophy. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk more about these in individually once I, I list them all off. Um, Doug Wade can win the Jack Adams. I put uh, Barzal as the Calder Trophy. I, I know I'd, I'd previously placed Hosang, but with his benching, or not benching, his scratch in the first game, I thought... Uh, the Isles are already gun-shy with Hosang. I, I could see him not playing other games, whereas Barzal, I think they'll put in every game as uh, throughout the season if he's fit, no matter what. Okay, so that's more of uh, he's going to play 82 games. and Yeah, so he's going to have a better chance of okay. doing it. Um, yeah, I, would, I agree with those. I think they're the most logical choices. I can't see really anybody else making a play. In, like I don't think we're going to see Thomas Grice or Yaroslav Halak winning any awards. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, but uh, if I had to put a guess on which one's the most likely, I guess I would either go with Barzal or this one might come as a shock, but wait, if they overachieve, like let's say, I don't know, they get hot in the playoffs and somehow go to the Eastern Coast. Well, voting happens before the playoffs, if I understand. Okay, well then never mind. Just Barzal then. Yeah. Well, see, like I like the case for, for wait. I really do. Like it, it, we got to think of it. Like they're gonna they're gonna factor in last year as well. They shouldn't, but that's still gonna be part of whoever's voting's narrative, mm-hmm. right? They're gonna remember the fact that they went twenty four twelve and two and four. And if he does a similar record, so I, I did the pace statistics for that, and that's a hundred and four point season this year, which isn't too far off the mark. Like one hundred four points isn't gonna get you at the top of the division. It's gonna float you somewhere around that wild, like just maybe just above the wild card. Which is what we're looking at right now. Um, I'm gonna just check my set. Yeah, 104 points. So it'd be a 49, 25, and eight record 
if he does he matches the same pace as he did in the first half of the season or the second half of the season last year when he he started coaching so it's really possible he does that Uh, of course this is not looking at the field as well right we have to consider that um if toronto does what toronto's doing for the next 82 games forget about it babcock's a shoe in just for like a lifetime achievement award regardless of what toronto did right um, my big one is Nick Letty. I really think he could. The potential's there. Like this guy's putting up more and more points every year, and he put up forty six last season. And he started off slowly. If he had started off at the same pace as he was in the second half or the later half of the season, this guy is looking at fifty five to sixty points, and that's getting you at least at the table, right? It, it doesn't eclipse the Burns or the Carlsons, generally speaking. But if, if the Burns and Carlsons have an okay year, you're looking at him at least getting into the discussion. And we got to remember, Drew Doughty won the award, and he only put up like 54 points. Meanwhile, Carlson had 88 points that season. Um, so I definitely think so. he should be in the conversation for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Burns is probably more appealing because he's going to put up the higher point totals and goal totals. But um, well, I could certainly see Letty putting over 50 points, which I think he's going to have to do to be in the conversation. If he's around the same as last year, would you say 46 last year? Yeah. Then yeah. I'm not so sure, but over 50. Oh then, yeah. yeah, agreed. Yeah, I don't. I don't think if he if he gets anything less than 50, then don't even think about it. He's not even going to get a ballot. Um, but if he gets anything above 50, then ballots are going to start coming in for him. He may not get top notch ballots. Um, but the higher he gets above that 50 mark, the more ballots he's going to get. That's just how it works. Right. It, Unfortunately, sometimes, for some people. Yeah, which make, it makes sense in a way. But Yeah. Um, let's go to some arena talk because that was the big talk of the town yesterday. Um, if anyone is tuning in to, to Twitter, we all got like the, the, the flurry of tweets where John Ledecky was talking to media at a restaurant and it just went all over the place. It was maybe not all over the place. It, it was just kind of one hit after another. It was like the greatest hits of New York Islanders arena drama for this season. Um, first one was, we're going to Belmont. We're going to do Belmont, and our focus is there. And then it was, we're going to stay at Barclays for a year. And then it was, we're not going to Nassau Coliseum. Not ever, ever, never, ever. He was Taylor Swifting that like crazy. Yeah, so for the Islanders fans' perspective, it went like, yay to no to even more depressed. It was like a, a steep incline, and then it went crashing down after that. Because, yeah. not that, look, I, I want them to go to Belmont, but I'd be lying if I didn't say that a small part of me doesn't want them to go back to Nassau Coliseum, which is what a lot of Islander fans still feel. I think they realize it's unrealistic, but you still have those feelings. Yeah, well, we'll get to fans' reactions the later the later segment of the, of the show, but I don't I don't understand why we're still hung up on that. So I, I get that that's where we want them to go, but based off what we know they're trying to do at Belmont, which is an eighteen thousand to twenty thousand seat stadium, something along the lines between Rogers Place in Edmonton and Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. They can't do that at NASA. That's just not economic. Like that's not going to happen. And the only reason that they're trying to build that big of a stadium is because that's how it. That's what it's going to take to make an economically viable team. Like Ledecky had said, to pay at the cap for season upon season. Now, if we fill those seats, that's another question. Like that. That is a very reasonable thing for someone to lift their hand and say, uh, "Mr. Ledecky, how are you going to fill those seats? Because we're not doing it now, and we weren't doing it before." Just because you're going to add another like 5,000 seats doesn't mean you're going to fill them. Fair point. 
so that's going to be a problem. Um, the Barclays thing, I don't, I don't understand why people are mad about that because they're, they're in the timeline of building stadiums, these things don't go up overnight. It took two years from the time the shovel hit the ground to when it was closed, uh, open for the Barclays Center to be built. And that's not counting the bureaucratic, I think it was at least three years before that, getting all the stuff in place and all the funding before the shovels even hit the ground. We're still in that three-year process right now. Today, there's still three years to go maybe before a shovel hits the ground. So like... We still need to play somewhere. And the Barclays is where we're at now. So why would we leave there? They're paying us $50 billion to stay there for now. Why Why would we go anywhere else? We're in a negotiation window at, at this moment. It doesn't make sense to go anywhere else. Um, because the ice surface is terrible and John Tavares is going to oh go to Toronto. That's why. God. God, can we stop with the ice? I get it. The ice surface sucks. Hey, we're apparently going to be in the top 50% of ice surface if uh, – John Ledecky and Gar Snow are to be believed recently. Um, how, what, what they did, I don't know. They need steel piping. They're not going to put in steel piping. We all know that that's a narrative we're going to keep on hearing. But in a new building, they're going to get steel piping. Yay. But for now, we have to deal with PVC piping. I don't know what they're going to do to make the ice better and to the, in the top 50% of the league, however you measure that. I don't know how they're going to do that. But um, he's just throwing stuff out there. Barclays is what you don't you don't want to move a fan base three times in the last like six years. No, that right? Like that, that can't happen to do. And then to continue to sustain your fan base after all those moves is very difficult. Mm hmm. Like it's just it's just not feasible to do. It's not business savvy. I understand the appeal of going to Nassau Coliseum. And if we could make Nassau Coliseum be an 18,000 seat stadium, then I'd say, well, it doesn't make sense to go to Belmont. It just doesn't. If we could retrofit, maybe not retrofit, but if we can increase the capacity of Nassau Coliseum, then let's do that because that's the best play possible. But that's not going to happen. They just spent, what, was it $120 million revamping it into this, this typewriter facade? Like, it's, it's just not going to go. They can, they can add 2000 at most, but we need another five to six. So it just doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. It just doesn't make sense. No, you're, you're right, realistically. I just think a lot of fans, like we said, we're going to get into that in a little bit, why fans can't let go of the Coliseum. Uh, but... I think really Belmont is the best option, and I think we're just in that waiting period for when it, you know, when is it going to finally come through that makes mm. the fans a little uneasy. Yeah, because I think like you're you're alluding to is that the fate of Belmont is in the hands of the state, and the state don't work real quick. No, I don't really trust New York State to move quickly and efficiently in this process. Yeah, but from from what everything I've heard, at least at least from Randy Johnson of Newsday, she said um, that this could be done by January. Okay. Now we'll see if that plays out, and that 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 was now you know when the RFP process was initially closed, and all you know bureaucrats are optimistic we're gonna get this done and we're gonna get this done right, like they always do whenever a project happens. Bureaucrats are the most optimistic people on day one and the most pessimistic people on day n plus one at the end right like that so, so how long this takes could take forever, but they seem to want to get it done. listen, they've been waiting forever to get this done already with the cosmos that's already been going on for what is it four years, three or four years so they they want something done. 
They want it done quick. So they might rubber stamp this quickly, but might is a very uh, lofty term that I'm using. Yeah, so uh, we're definitely going to have to see there, but I think we're both in agreement that with these new arena developments and what Ledecky has been saying, that it seems like the sole focus is Belmont or bust. That's it. Yeah, which I'm 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 happy for. I, that's what I want to see, uh, and he may just be pandering. Although it's it serves him to pander because he's trying to drum up more support for what he's trying to do. Um, but it doesn't make sense to do anything else with Belmont. It just doesn't. Sorry, Nassau. Sorry. It's not really that far. I mean, you're just taking Hempstead Turnpike a little further west. That's all. You could drive past yeah. the Coliseum and wave as you go. That's right. But I think people are still mad that. At least as it stands now, there won't be any tailgating at Belmont. Oh, really? Like they said, we won't allow it. I know. That's that's definitely a problem for the fan base, and I can absolutely sympathize with that. Like that that is not something, like, and that could be revised, right? Again, this thing isn't going to be built tomorrow. Whatever rules exist right now can absolutely be revisited tomorrow. In like we said, it, it could take three years to get the paperwork and all that sorted out before a shovel hits the ground and then two years from there to build it. So we're looking at a five-year timeline at best. Maybe not at best. That's not at best. A reasonable five-year timeline. They have five years to change that rule and for Ledecky to try to get that rule changed. I, I'm not sure like w- what kind of rule that is, if that's just like a Belmont rule, if that's a state rule. I wouldn't imagine it's a state rule if they were allow- if we were allowed to do it at, uh, at Nassau. Um, Although it might be because it's it might not it's not state land, so I don't know how that works out necessarily in this case, but that could definitely be changed. Yes. So have hope for 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 now. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So next we're going to go on to talking about the season. Let's talk about some hockey, some relevant hockey, and some results. So the Islanders went on a three-game trip. No, sorry, it wasn't a three-game trip. I'm I'm thinking of what they're going to do tonight as of now. They played three games. One was away, two were at home. The first one was a 5 nothing drubbing to the Columbus Blue Jackets. And then they won 6-3 against the Buffalo Sabres and then lost 3-2 to the St. Louis Blues in overtime. Matt, what are your takeaways from those three games? Uh, Give me your hottest hot take. Uh, I think my hottest hot take was from the first game when I said the Islanders' defense looks like straight poo. And... <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people got mad at me on Twitter for that, what? but I stand I stand by Why? that decision because uh, they did. And then they were like, "No, it's just Calvin DeHaan that looks like straight poo." And I was like, "Oh my god, wrong, folks! It is not just Calvin DeHaan." Um, but the the first game was a rough one because it, it seemed Columbus scored right away, like a minute into the game, and then from there the yeah. wheels just fell off, and they mm. couldn't get anything it was going. What do you think it is though? Like, so I wrote something today about this whole. We we did a roundtable with everyone on the on staff, and we got. I tried to figure out what what it was that they weren't like that was going on. What was the takeaway from this season so far? And for me, it was just, it just doesn't seem like they have a winning strategy yet. They know what their roster is and they know the way they want to play, but they they're they're not able to execute that. Which case in point, those three games are, are three completely different types of games played by the Islanders with that five nothing loss. They looked just completely disjointed, where no one necessarily knew exactly how everyone was about to play. Yeah, I could agree with that. 
they didn't look like they were prepared, maybe. I don't know if that's the right word, but... Yeah, they, I think for the Blues game, that is definitely going to be the word I'm going to use. But this one, I, yeah, I don't know about that. They just looked like they couldn't stay, you know, keep up with Columbus. Like, they looked like Columbus yeah. was on just a completely another level. They were... Uh, I mean, Panarin looked great. I thought, uh, mm-hmm. and you didn't necessarily see that initial, um, what's the word, chemistry, I guess, for the Islanders in the first game. No, not at, like there was a few times where Eberle found Tavares with some nice passes, but nothing materialized, which is the whole point of this, right? Like, that's great that you can find him on the ice, but we need goals to come out of this. Uh, and the Islanders just weren't getting any. They just weren't getting enough looks. Um I like your take on the on the defense in so much as it didn't it just didn't seem like the defense was was working in connection with with the offense whereas the two were operating on, on two different levels mm-hmm. so it it just didn't it just didn't seem like they were playing the same game and or even playing the same game plan and I'm sure they were and I'm sure like it's a, it was the first first game of the season so I'm sure there's cobwebs I'm sure there's there's rust and there's things to work out even though there was a six game preseason um or was it eight? Yeah, it was eight. Six oh and two. Um it, it's just it's gonna happen. But going into the loss uh, the, the the win in uh with against Buffalo and the loss against the Blues, some of those mistakes are still happening where the offense and the defense looks disjointed and, and this lack of preparation. It seems I'm sure they're very well drilled and very well prepared. It just when it comes to the ice, on the ice on game day, it just seems that some of that preparation isn't there necessarily. Yeah. So, like, what do you take away from that six-three win? Then, well, we'll go in, in order chronologically. Um, that showed me what the offense could look like on a good night. Like that—that's probably mm-hmm. your potential right there. Um, you got a couple Tavares goals. You got a couple from Sezikis. Uh, it just looked like, and granted, it was against the worst <laughs> Buffalo team, but they. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but they looked like. I don't know. The pieces on offense just seemed to be moving a little bit better, and they were finding the right guy and making the right passes and stuff like that. Um, and I thought the defense looked a little bit better in the second game. Yeah, I, I, I think they looked fine, and the communication was definitely better, and maybe it was just they're coming home, and so the momentum and the mojo from being in the building and, and the Barclays Center rocking really kind of got to them and, and, and helped them and gave them that, like, whatever you want to call it, boost, if you want to call it fourth or, sorry, fifth line boost that they do in Columbus, or if you want to call it the the seventh man boost. It was there, and it was obvious, and, and, they, and they picked up on that. And the offense was rocking, and it, it was doing exactly what you wanted to do, but the defense was not. Listen, the, 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 they gave up two shorthanded goals. That can't happen. Like, that. that's just, I'm sorry, that can't happen in a single game. That's borderline inexcusable. I know they still won 6-3, but that can't happen at all. Yeah, that second period um, was really weird because I think we saw four shorthanded goals in that period alone, right? Two from the Islanders and two from the Steelers. Right. So no one was on the mark. And I don't know what it was, but maybe it was just Barclay Center Mojo where the power plays just weren't going to work or they were going to work in reverse, So, which is almost in the Islanders' favor because their power play is terrible. So if the penalty yeah, kill is going to be I, that much amazing, just don't take a power play. That's one of the things that I'm still concerned with three games in so far is is the power play. It's still – it doesn't seem 
Right. I don't know if what Gomez is doing with these guys, but they they just aren't they haven't for a long time been able to get anything going on that power play and if they continue to struggle with it, it's going to hold them back a little bit this year. Oh, hard. Well, listen, I think the Islanders were the only team just like almost in the playoffs that were in the bottom half of, well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know necessarily. But the fact, sorry, what I want to say is that they were third worst in the league in terms of power play efficiency. That is terrible. They were just above the Red Wings and the Avalanche at 15%. And it's not looking that this season is any better, even though they, like you said, they brought in Gomez, and it's both Gomez and Buckberger that are in charge of the power play. So they have two dedicated resources for the power play, and it's still not working, and or it's working even worse than when Doug Waite was doing it in tandem with everything else that he had to do on the on, on the Islanders. So I, I'm also concerned. I don't know what to do. Uh, it just doesn't look like they're cycling the puck. Like they 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 have no urgency in 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 moving the puck around at all. And so that's a problem. When you can't move players out of position, they can just huddle around like the Blues did, and they're, they're fine with being stationary. Heck, they're, they're the ones that have to move around the most. So if you're not moving them and getting them tired, what are you doing? Right. That, and you kind of answered the question that I was going to ask you right now, but I was going to say, do you think it's a personnel thing or a strategy thing? I think it's a strategy thing. I really do. Like It, it just really seemed like the Islanders – we're reluctant to move the puck around, which is what you like. That, that is power play one-on-one. You want to move that puck around the perimeter and you want to stretch those four players or three players out there to open gaps. So you can filter that, that extra player in and, and, and take advantage of the gap that they've created. They weren't doing any of that. They were, they were moving it around the perimeter, but they weren't doing any, it, there was no urgency. It just, they were very pedantic. Yeah, I I agree. I was going to say, I think it's definitely strategy in this situation Um, because on paper, this power play should be improved with the guys that they're running out there now, and it really hasn't been. No, it's been worse so far. You know, they're 0-9, or is it 0-10? I forget. Oh, it's one of those. 0-9 or 0-10, it's still terrible. Yeah, they're still 0 for They're... I don't know how it is now, but I know there were five teams that were locked at 0% efficiency in the NHL, and the Isles were one of them. Yeah. Not, so no not good. Um, what about the 3-2 loss to the Blues? My takeaway, I'm just going to throw it out there, was the fact that they couldn't deal with that pressure. I said it a bunch of times, but like the forecheck that the Blues were thrown out there was killing the Islanders. Case in point, that first uh, Blues goal which was a, a terrible giveaway. Not, maybe not, I wouldn't even call it a, a giveaway, but Dahan just dumped the puck into the middle of the ice to a, a, a Blues player that was absolutely alone, gifted the puck right in the middle of the ice instead of playing it off the boards in a safer play down the, down the wing. He throws it in the middle and someone intercepts it easily. What was that all about? It's just It was that, that four-check pressure that the Islanders just couldn't deal with. Yeah, um, I definitely noticed that one. Um I think that I would agree saying with uh, in, in the third game with what you just said. I would also say, though, um, Grice did look better, and that was one of my other takeaways, that he really stood on his head in the third period and kept him in, in the game. So oh, yeah. um, just to throw a positive one out there in a loss, I would say that Grice bouncing back in his second outing, um, that would be one of my takeaways as well. 
Yeah, because he looked absolutely terrible in that five nothing loss, and you're always like, oh god, what's happening with Grice? And you're right, he absolutely bounced back in that three two. He kept the Islanders in that, even though they were losing two nothing. The only way the Islanders got out of that game with a point is because of Grice. Yes, I know Ladd and Lee scored, but if it weren't for like two huge saves that you mentioned in that third period, the Islanders were getting out of there with a four nothing loss. Right. So I definitely wanted to give credit to Greiser there. Um, yeah, Asian. good call. And Halak is starting the game tonight, right? So it's going to be an even split 2-2, I want to say. Yeah, and and I think that that's the strategy going forward. I, I know that, that Wade has been pretty coy with the starting goalies uh, and, and what the strategy is, but I'd be surprised if it wasn't you know a, a straight 50 split. I'm okay with that, honestly. It keeps both guys fresh, and I think they're both NHL-capable goalies, so I'm fine with it. Yeah, that sounds fine to me as well. Like, why not? Like, if they're going to both, on fresh nights, dole you out a 920 save percentage and, like, uh, just above two goals against average, I, I'll live with that easily. That's great goaltending in the NHL. Well, maybe not great. It's really good. It's solid goaltending, and you can easily win games with that, with allowing two goals or fewer. So... Right. A plus. We just have to see if the defense could get their stuff together, let's say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or if the Isles can figure out how to structure that D, how to structure those pairings. So Yes. And I d I don't want to touch that first pairing. It seems that Letty Boychuk is working well. It's anything below that. And and Hickey. Hickey is doing really well, man. I don't I like I know I'm not seeing a lot of uh, hickey hate but usually there's a lot of hickey hate out there. And those first two games, he was a plus 10 and a plus 11 if I'm not mistaken, Corsi 5 on 5, which was ahead of everyone else on the team. He was a minus 2 or a plus 2 within that range against St. Louis, but you know, two games out of 3, that's pretty darn good considering everyone else was terrible in all those games. So Yeah, that hickey's definitely good job, been a, hickey. a bright spot. Uh, on the struggling defense so far. I would definitely throw him in the mix. Heck, yeah. Uh, you want to move over to some social stuff? I don't know if you've got anything else you want to talk about on this. Um, these three games. It's three games. Like It's hard to, to to take these takeaways too seriously because it's only three games. Like Things can change dramatically from here on in. Like, listen, the Isles had a terrible 41 games last season, and they almost still made the playoffs with only 40 games. So the fact that there's 79 to go... There's still lots of time for them to do a lot of stuff. Here. Right. It is still a small sample size we're looking at, so I'm not, like, huge overreacting one way or the other. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that's pretty much it. I think we hit on everything for the uh, first three games of the year. Beauty. Okay. Sociables. Let's get to some whatever's happening in social media. Uh, the first one that I wanted to bring up, I'm just going to I'm gonna go right in. I'm going to ask you. Uh, I'm going to save your voice. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, I did that. See, like, that was perfect. That worked out so perfectly. Uh, Mark Bergevin was spotted at the Isles and Blues game. So if no one knows who Mark Bergevin is, he is the GM for the Montreal Canadiens. And so when Staple tweeted that out, Twitter went a flutter and started thinking of all kinds of trade rumors. And I, I don't, I don't fault them. I posted a piece about Alex Galchenyuk later that night. Was it no? The next day about how the Isles should still pursue Alex Galchenyuk, and it, and it's strictly because of the fact that. Bergevin was at the game. Yeah. Now, what do you what do you think of that? Um, I definitely think it gives you the right to get your creative juices flowing and concocting a nice trade piece. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily like if he was there for the Islanders per se, 
Right. Um, but it would be interesting to see if Garth would make a trade or this early on in a season. Yeah. Well, like it's not like he was there to watch the Blues, and maybe he was, but what is he going to get out of the Blues? A broken Robbie Fabry? They're not getting rid of Alex Pietrangelo. Jake Allen isn't going anywhere, so like, what is he hoping to get out of them? Yeah. I, at this point, I think the Blues are playing with house money because they, they, were, they weren't supposed to be this good this year, and they're looking pretty darn good. So I don't think they're going to look to move anything right now. No, probably not. So I could see why the uh, Islanders fans are getting into this and, and reading into it a little bit. I certainly did. I, th- I thought Galchenyuk right away when I saw that. Um, and I wrote, I either wrote or tweeted earlier, like over the summer, um, that Galchenyuk could be a nice addition to this team. And mm-hmm. I still, even like, even if you still want Barzal to be the second line center, you could still plug Galchenyuk in on that second line and you're just as a winger and still bolster your top six even more. Yeah, see, that that's why I differ. I, I want to bring Galchenyuk in, but I don't want to bring him in as a winger. That's why he's not doing that well in Montreal is because they're, they're, they false started him so frequently. He's playing the wing. He's sometimes playing center. He's playing on the fourth line now. Like, uh, if, I, if I'm bringing Galchenyuk in, it's because I'm bringing him to play that center role. Uh, if if the idea is to bring him into play as, as as a winger, there are other wingers out there that are probably better than him that we can get. Okay, I think that's fair. yeah. Because I know a lot of people cite his uh, faceoff percentage for why he wouldn't be yeah. a good second line center. I know, but like faceoff percentages aren't all like they're all they're not all what it used to be. Like it doesn't really mean that much. You can lose a faceoff on purpose, and even then, faceoff win percentages. They're flim- like it, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Like it could be that they won the face up, and it could not be. Like it's all it's it's playing with the, the house decides. Like they, they they count the stats. So like I'm really not reliant on on that. If he's within the fifty point the fifty percent range, I'm okay. That's fine with me. All right. Yeah, I, I still think he he'd be an interesting addition. I'm all right with that. Depends on who they yeah. give up, but right. That's that's true. So my trade proposal, I had Dahan and or Hickey. Uh, no, sorry, not Andor. Dahan or Hickey and Nelson, as well as a second round pick next year. Yeah, I'd do it. Yeah, so I, I think anyone in, on the aisle side would do it. I'm not so sure about Montreal. I saw a few people from the Montreal market say like, "We oui, j'aime ça, let's do it là." Um, so I think we 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 do that, and we, and they're okay with it. But I think that's that, I think that's a very small minority of Montreal Canadiens fans. That was good. Uh, was that French? Oh yes. Oui, mon ami, c'était le français, mais certainement. Oui. Parfait. That's all I got. Um, that's fine. That's all right. Um, all right. So we talked about it earlier, where his fans still can't let go of the Coliseum, and I got a few tweets that I brought up. Um, first, we got Isles Barn, or at Isles Barn, that said Coliseum should always be on the table, like only if, only if they can increase the capacity. Beyond fifteen thousand, yeah, that's they're it. gonna have to make some pretty big changes if they want the Islanders to come back. So for yeah, as absolutely. things are right now, it's not really in play. And like, why would they? They they just spent a ton of money to do that. I don't think the county is gonna want to spend more money to do it. And I, when I'm talking more money, I'm talking like hundreds of millions to build it. It not build it, but revamp it. Like three to four to five hundred million dollars to. Add seats, 
uh, maybe not 500. That might be a lot. I don't I'm not a, a contractor, but at least another $100 million to, to make it up to NHL caliber, or at least not only NHL caliber, but economically viable in the NHL. Right. So, like, just because they're above 13,000, ooh, great. Well, that's not, that's not great. That is not economically viable in years to come, which is what they're trying to do here. Like, that might be fine right now if we can fill it, but in two to three years, that might not be fine when the NHL cap goes up. When Seattle joins the league and another five hundred million dollars floods into the market and bumps up the NHL cap, yeah, that's like that. <laughs> if you want the Islanders to play to the top of the cap, then you're probably going to want them to go to Belmont. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I got another one from the real Sadowski. I was all for the Isles staying at the Coliseum, the Lighthouse Project, and Wang's redevelopment of the hub. An area at Belmont is dumb. Well, it's not. I'm sorry. It really isn't dumb. Like, where else are they going to go? And if your only answer is the Coliseum, well, you got to rethink what your answer is going to be. And you got to rethink of the climate you're bringing the Islanders in. I understand we want to bring them back home. And I understand we want to bring them back to their traditional arena. That's fine. And I understand the nostalgia. And it makes sense with that narrative and that narrative only. But when it comes to the economics of it, it's, it, it can't be, the team cannot be supported economically in, in, in Nassau. It just can't. I would love if it could. And if someone can crunch the math and show me that it's economically viable, then I'm, I'll change my mind lickety split. I will pull a John Carrier right now and flip-flop on this. But until such a time, I'm sorry. It's just I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't blame you. Um... Like it's it's tough for me to admit because I am biased towards the Coliseum, but the Belmont Arena is not dumb, and we hit on it a lot tonight. But I think it is the best and most realistic option going forward. Yeah, agreed. Um, that's all I had written down for my social segments. Did you uh, did you want to bring anything else up? Did you see anything else catch your eye? Yeah, you're not gonna talk about you getting murdered by oh, yeah. Calvin Dahan. <laughs> Are we not gonna talk did about you... that? Can you be my friend, please? No. I'm... Oh, all right. Yeah, that's exactly how that went. Mitch from like his yeah, that was... like basement <laughs> blogger chair was like, at Calvin DeHaan, do you love me? And he was like, pass. <laughs> Hard pass. And I was like, we come from Ottawa, the same place, please. And he was like, I'm good. Literally, that's what he wrote. I'm good. And I went, oh, he doesn't want to be my friend. That's it. I just wanted, I just wanted to see. I thought I'd ask. I thought I'd see. And uh, I got shut down. You know what? As a skinny guy with an acne problem in high school, I'm used to it. So it was no skin off my back. He got me good. It was a, it was a, good, it was a good zinger. Uh, I hope he likes my zinger back to him. We'll see. I know he's got more important things to do than to answer me on Twitter right now. He's like they're playing a game in seven minutes. Um, so I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait. We're patiently um, awaiting the response. <laughs> but I, I accept his answer. That's fun. And I, I'm glad other people can join in and say, like, ha, ha, it's an IELTS. You guys suck. Well, whatever. <laughs> uh, you should have left the sliding into the DMs to the millennial of the group. The father of two, probably not the best to go sliding into DMs. <laughs> Let's be real here. I, yeah, I don't know how to work it out. I, I haven't been made, had to make friends in forever. So it's tough for a father of two to go out there. Make himself vulnerable all over again. And on social and I media, did it. too. That's right. I did it in front of all of your eyes. I have nothing to hide. I am just a weird Canadian guy looking for another Canadian guy to be his friend. That's all. 
Is that too much to ask? What's, that is a, probably the most wholesome thing that has ever happened on this show. Probably. But, yeah, I, I, I we think, couldn't I let the show go by without bringing up yeah. Mitch getting absolutely <laughs> shut down by Calvin DeHaan. That was pretty amazing. That's fair. Yeah, good job, Calvin. Good job. Um, that's all I have then. Well, I got, I hope that's all you have. Well, have I been roasted by anyone else that I'm not aware of? No, but ne- next week, who knows? We could probably get roasted by somebody else. <laughs> yeah, maybe someone else. We'll see. Um, f- so for now, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. It helps us reach more people. Maybe even Calvin DeHaan, who we've kind of reached, but you know, maybe he'll want to listen to it more frequently. Calvin um, or anyone else, uh, make sure to follow us on Facebook. So that's facebook.com slash eyes on aisles. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. That's at eyes on aisles FS. And that's all the social media platforms we have. So Matt, I bid you a good week and I hope you, uh, get rid of that cold you got going on, bud. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to need all the help that I can get. All right, buddy. Take it easy. You too now. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.